What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at TalkLouder underscore podcast, and also our website, TalkLouderPodcast.com, where you'll find links to our merch and our previous episodes. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster, and man... (laughs) We have a good one today, man. Lots of fun, lots of laughs, and it should come as no surprise because our guest is Jim Florentine, a stand-up comedian. Uh, you probably know him best as a co-host on That Metal Show. People oh, forget that he's an actor a little bit. Yeah, an actor, and he's put out some albums. He's got a pretty impressive discography. Yeah, we talk about that. Uh, we had Don Jameson on this show once before, so now we've had two out of the three hosts of that metal show uh jim of course uh near and dear to my heart because he actually wore a broken teeth t-shirt on that metal show which i thought was really cool with with no payola yeah just did it because he no, loved the band and no prompting the yeah <clears throat> yeah exactly i remember the day that that happened my phone was blowing up people were texting me saying hey uh that guy on that metal show is wearing your buddy's band's t-shirt here, and here's sure a, and it, yeah 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 and it was it was cool my of course phone was blowing up as well here's kind of a funny story that i didn't break balls to jim when we had him on today uh is he frantically contacted me at some this is years ago i can't even remember don't make don't ask me when it was but uh true story uh he frantically contacted me because he was going to be in uh the uk the download festival anyway mm-hmm. Um, and they, it was, a they were having to edit together some stuff and he was wearing a, a broken teeth shirt that he, that he really likes. It's the old school one with just a red logo on the front. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> he goes, I need another one pronto. Can you ship it out to me? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what's what I hear the urgency in your voice. What the hell's wrong? And he's like, we're they're shooting this thing and they want me to wear the same shirt and this thing is wet with sweat and it's gross because i wore it all day because i've been out in the sun and blah blah and they're editing this together and they want me to wear the same thing do you have another one and i'm like uh, i had dude fast forward i had one in his size i had one i had one (laughs) and it happened to be his size wow because it's an older design, right? Uh, it's yeah. a shirt that I don't even remember what exactly was on the back. It may have tour dates on it. I can't recall. Nothing on the back. I have there the was same so, shirt. No, there was there was something on the back. It was the handprint. Had a hand. It was said blood on the radio and those tour dates. I think uh, okay. so. It definitely had something on the back. See, okay. you don't even remember what it looked well, like. Well, then I have one that predates that design. Yeah, I oh, have, for sure. Oh, there's yeah. no there's no doubt. Anyway, yeah. so I had to ship him over, ship that over to him. So he could wear a broken teeth shirt at the download festival for a taping that they were doing because they wanted him to wear the same shit because they were going to cut it together. Yeah. Pretty weird. He, he, I should have asked him about it, but I didn't think of it till now. Anyway, Jim, um, I, I, I feel blessed to, to call him a friend. He's always been so cool and, uh, uh, he's, he likes real rock and roll. I've just, I feel blessed that he, that he likes my music and, uh, that I get to bump into him a few times a year doing these Monsters of Rock, uh, you know, the cruises. And yeah. we just recently did Monsters on the Mountain. And him and Don and Eddie were there. I didn't get to see Eddie, but I got to see Don Jameson and uh, 
and Jim, and uh, it's just fantastic. The guy is flying the flag for hard rock and heavy metal for sure, and uh, with, with in his own way because you know who knew he. We talked to him a little bit about. I don't want to spill the beans, but he gets into reasons why uh, he's a comic. You know, Dave, yeah. you asked him some great questions today, and I think that I learned a lot about my friend Jim Florentine here on the Talk Louder podcast. I hear a story like you and Don would be on the road doing your act and you'd listen to Eddie on the radio. Yeah, Eddie had a show uh, Friday nights in New York City on Q104, the classic rock station. But from like 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. every Friday, he could play whatever songs he wanted. They, you know, so we'd be coming home from gigs in New Jersey in that area or whatever like that. And we turn on like Q104 and we hear Raven. We're like, who the f who's playing Raven? Holy shit. You know, and then, I, you know, we knew Eddie Trump from, you know, being a DJ and stuff like that. Like, oh, this is Eddie's show. So every Friday we're coming home from shows, we listen to him. Like, man, we, you know, this guy likes the same music as us. I'm surprised we don't know each other. Yeah. You know, and then about a month later, we went to some show and Eddie was there. And we went up to him. We go, hey, man, we're big fans. You know, we listen to your show. We're comics. And, uh, you know, he's like, oh, really? He goes, well, you guys should come up one Friday night in studio. If you guys are off and just shoot the shit, we'll just talk music. Nice. So I said, all right, yeah, that'd be great. And then we get up there and, have, and then we just, you know, bonded because we were all about the same age. We like the same music. And then Eddie was already working at VH1. He was doing like a regular rock show. Okay. Like doing a bunch of different interviews with, you know, uh, not, not metal people. So he already had it in. He goes, I'm going to pitch this show as a talk show. Just three dudes, you know, just riffing about music and stuff and see what happens. So he had it in and then he's like, I got these two guys and right on. We did one pilot and they loved it. And then, you know, they picked us up and that was it. But that Talking was about it just, that metal show. Yeah, that metal show. Yeah. So it, what, it, it, what it just, about prior? What about prior to that? Like, how long had you how long were you like just, you know, hanging with Eddie like buds and hooking up for concerts and not, tailgate. not long. Tail no, oh, only, really? We only knew Eddie maybe six months to a year, possibly. Wow. That was it. Wow. Yeah, because we met okay. him and, you know, he brought us on the radio show. We go up there like every three or four Fridays and sit in and mess around and plug our gigs and just talk music. And then he's like, I'm going to pitch this show. I have a concept. So, so it wasn't even that long. Me and Don knew each other, you know, probably 15 years before we met Eddie. So me and Don were already friends. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another kind of piggyback question would be who, who, which one of you guys uh, na actually named the show that metal show? I don't know if it was us. It might have been, I think it was VH1. We didn't want oh, metal okay. in the title. I think uh, we wanted yeah. to call it something about a rock because we knew if we had, you know, Warren on, people are going to go, oh, they're not metal. You know, it's it really pigeonhole us, it, even though we did anyway. But it's like people are going to be pissed. But VH1's theory was if you have metal in, the description of a show people will will tune in so we need that we need a metal metal I, in the description i have i have a uh i'm always crybabying about uh headbangers ball because you know not to pick on warrant but they would play warrant or bon jovi or poison on headbangers ball so you'd see slayer next to bon jovi you know yeah. or or whatever you know and i would cry baby about that so headbanger the death by definition i mean i love aldo nova but i don't headbang to aldo nova right 
Yeah, but from their perspective, compared to everything else they're airing the other 23 hours of day of the day, Poison and uh, Bon Jovi is pretty rocking stuff. So, uh, you know, you got to kind of keep it all in perspective from their marketing standpoint. And yeah, you're, the people you're, you're, that work at VH1 and MTV, they don't, they don't know shit about the music. They have no clue. <laughs> right. So you're dealing with completely clueless people. They're not metalheads. They're not even rock fans. They have right. no idea what's going on. They like whatever pop act is popular reality show so you're dealing right. with a bunch of fucking idiots they're coming from a mark they have degrees in marketing and right. they, they were in the av class you and know? they still don't know what they're doing even though if they had a degree in marketing but they just knew that if metal was in the title so i guess it was like a, a, a version of that 70s show that metal show we're like all right whatever that's fine yeah we just went on the air so how, yeah, how difficult was that sales pitch how many times did you have to throw that pitch before it stuck it was all eddie think, yeah yeah, it was just once. Eddie went and met with them. They go, bring the other two guys in. Let's meet them. We sat in the conference room. We talked about what the show was going to be. And one of the heads of VH1, I forget his name, uh, but he was a big metal guy. He was like the, the second in charge or whatever. He goes, listen, here's here's a little money. Shoot a pilot. Let's see what happens. And we took, we basically brought Lita Ford out of retirement because Lita was living on an island with her husband at the time. She was right. out of music and she came back and she was our pilot episode and they saw it. They go, all right, you picked up. That's it. Wow. 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 Well, we're so, glad that you helped, helped Lita come out of retirement because a friend of ours from San Antonio is her fucking guitar player. Oh, yeah. really? Okay. Yeah. Pat yeah. Kennison. You probably met him. Yeah. Any yeah. relation to Sam? No. Uh, <laughs> spelled no. differently too, I think. So okay, um, so so you are one more one more Dave, and then and then yeah, we'll because I want to I want to hear. Uh, old this would be a double whammy. Uh, old Bridge Militia and Raven, because there's I've heard stories of both. Right, uh, Birchill. You could throw Birchill Nightclub, which were you were a DJ at between x and x and i i hear stories that like raven's first tour you like drove them around and used to be your buddies with raven give us vomit on that for a moment give us yeah well us you know John, johnny z from megaforce records had a uh in a flea market on friday and saturdays he had a record shop rock and roll rock heaven, and roll heaven. Yeah. yeah rock and roll heaven so we every friday night me and my friends would get paid and we'd go down there and we'd just hang out and he'd play you know the new raven record he had they had metallica no life to leather on cassette i remember going i'm gonna sign this band this band's gonna be huge you know he'd have he'd play us like remember that band trance out of yeah out of yeah he'd play us that we'd just be sitting in there like oh wow. this is unbelievable more remember that band more yeah, of course yeah so rose tattoo all the shit so we're like oh man well we'll take this out we'll take this and then he's like i'm bringing this band raven over and uh you know they're gonna do some shows here in america and they were hanging out in Oldbridge. I grew up in Oldbridge. I lived there. And at one point, he's like, hey, man, you know, can you guys take these guys out? I think they were staying at Johnny Z's house. I know Metallica was. And I'm like, yeah. So I remember I picked him up my mom's car and we drive around, took the Burger King, all the stuff. And I had a college radio show at the time. And I did an interview with uh, John Gallagher. You know, my first interview ever, I was so nervous. Wow. I was huge, you know, I knew Raven with the Rockins he had dropped. I was living in Florida at the time. I went to an import record store and I saw that cover to Rock Till You Drop and I didn't know anything about him. I go, that has to be good. Look at that cover. I didn't even know what they sounded like. And it was like fifteen ninety nine for the album as an import. I'm right. like, I got to get it. I was making like three thirty five an hour. I go, I, I know this is going to be good. And I was a fan. You know, so they came around when wiped out. I think around that era they came mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. and hung. And then, and then, um, 
I wrote a letter. I wrote a letter to John Gallagher afterwards and sent it to Neat Records. They were on Neat Records. Hey, thank yeah. you. You were my first interview. He wrote me a letter back. I still have it in my scrapbook. Awesome. And I always remember that, man. I'm still friends with those guys till till today. You know, they're playing here. They're playing here in Austin. Ne not next weekend, but weekend after. So. Oh yeah, so, you're gonna go. Yeah. Oh fuck yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. So we had him on the show too. Yeah, we had John on here. I, yeah. I absolutely love Raven, and it's no secret. And uh, yeah, just I've heard these stories from you, and in, in you know, in passing. And I just wanted you to share a little bit. It was a Pretty, great scene, man, because you know yeah. he brought Metallica, you know, uh, Raven, Riot, you know, all these bands, Anvil, you know, he brought them all to like this little town in New Jersey, Old Bridge, New Jersey, where I lived, and we we're all metalheads, and they would just yeah. be hanging around town doing these little bars. Metallica did a skating rink at one point. It was Metallica, Metallica and, and, and a skating, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was I, I've yeah, heard it was a roller rink. It was a roller skating <clears throat> rink. This wow. is all legendary stories that I've heard through fanzines and and yeah. Uh, word of mouth and and from you know john and from metallica guys and 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 just for the record this is all excuse me this is all pre-1983 this was mustaine was still in the band when they were yeah. here in old bridge this is i took them guys to the mall and mustaine was all drunk and they were like hey just go walk with him you know and it's like yeah you know, and I'm like, all right, fine, and left the other three behind because they yeah, were I, staying at they were staying at Johnny Z's house, and he just had like a regular house, and he just had a baby, and all four guys Metallica are sleeping on his floor in that shower, and they drank they drank like his champagne like from his wedding night that was like seven years old. They drank that and like get these guys out, they stink. We got a, a newborn here, just get them out of the house, take them somewhere. So. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's so frightening. so my point was pre pre kill them all. This is you know Raven had like two point five records out. What Rock and Drop wiped out and Crash Bang Wall up or some shit. Yeah, and it was pre All for One. It was you know uh, such an early time and still very underground. And what a what a like uh, mastermind Johnny Z. And your whole Jersey scene. I wore this shirt. Do you know anything about this? These books that are coming out. No. There's a three. It's called Jersey Metal. That's a trifecta. There's going to be three different books come out about the Jersey Metal scene, and surely all that shit's going to be in there. I can't believe you don't know about it. No, I don't it's know a, that. Uh, Frank White and Alan Tecchio are putting that out. Okay. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't interview for it. Didn't interview you for it. Yeah, I don't Maybe know. Maybe I need uh, to get on their ass. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you would have been a good, a good, you know, guy to talk to about that shit. In your, uh, in your days, your early days in Jersey, did you ever, uh, you got any early misfit stories or was Lodi a, uh, pretty far away from you? I don't know. Yeah, where I, never was, I never was really into the misfits that weren't really on my radar at the time. Yeah, Lodi was pretty far. We kind of stayed... Like the Birchell Rock Club was right around the corner. Sometimes we'd go to Lemoore's in Brooklyn to see shows too. If they were, you know, we'd see Motorhead back-to-back -back nights. But uh, they were, weren't really on my radar at that time, the Misfits. Yeah. Um, we started talking about that metal show, and I was going to get to it later. But since we were on the, on the topic, I wanted to ask, um, who, which guest on uh, that metal show was the most surprising to you? Like, did, did anyone come on the show and you really didn't have, you didn't, really didn't care one way or another about the person and then you ended up being really interested or 
uh, interested by them or impressed by them or or did the opposite ever happen? You were stoked about having someone on and they were kind of a letdown. <laughs> well, sometimes, yeah, I mean, some of those guys, you know, Lemmy was uh, Lemmy was on probably three or four times. You know, those British guys, they, they're fucking cranky until they got some booze in them. <laughs> you know, so Lemmy, you know, we always make sure if we're doing two shows in one day, put Lemmy on the second show so he's not cranky. So sometimes, you know, Lemmy wasn't, a, you know, Lemmy was amazing. He was totally nice to us. would come on, but he wasn't, wasn't a great interview because sometimes he would just give one word answers. Mm. So it was like pulling teeth with him until, you know, it just depended what you ask him, what kind of mood he was in. Not that he was a dick. He was never was. It was just like, you know, he needed his Jack Daniels, you know, I was like, yeah. okay, no problem. So um, no, I don't, you know, Eddie knew all these guys and I always treated it like I was just happy they were on. And, you know, even I wasn't a big fan of maybe, I don't know, say the band Warren or something like that. I still did all the research. I knew some of their stuff, obviously, and just, you know, treated them with respect and everybody else. Eddie had such a relationship with all these guys. So they weren't coming on as dicks. Right. And plus they're older and they, you know, that was the, the tonight show for those guys. If they had a new product to push. So they definitely weren't going to, they weren't in their twenties anymore where they had an attitude. So yeah. Everyone was grounded and down to earth and just be, you know, happy to be on. Yeah. Um, who's the most fun you had with off camera as guest, metal, that metal show guest? Probably Lemmy. Lemmy. I remember me and Don Jameson walking by his dressing room after we, uh, he just recorded something. I'm like, oh man, he's in there. But, you know, and the door was open and he's like, hey, boys, you guys want to have a drink with me? I'm like, yeah. So we sat and fucking drank Jack Daniels with him for like two hours. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> Everyone has uh, anyone that's had any interaction with Lemmy. The stories are always amazing. So yeah, yeah, great guy. What about Eddie Trunk? What's the biggest argument you ever got into with Eddie Trunk? I don't think I've never gotten an argument with Eddie. Really? Never. Yeah. I mean, we all meet Don. I don't even think I ever gotten an argument with Don. We just, you know, no. I just um, the, the the thing that. I, we'd annoy daddy with is our farting. We'd constantly be farting in the green room and the dressing room, even on set, you know, and it would just drive him nuts. <laughs> like I'd have, I'd always have one in the chamber, like right when we're ready to go, they go three, two, one. I welcome to that metal show, the opening of the show, yeah. right when they, and Eddie would start at three, two, one, I'd let a fart out right then. And he would just start laughing. I'm like, come on, Eddie, will you stop? He's messing that thing up. Now we got to do it again. So he was more annoyed by that. He's like, you guys are just so childish. <laughs> one in the chamber. I love that. Yeah, I always have one in the chamber. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> so how, how did you and Jason meet? Because I, I, one time uh, you were wearing a broken teeth shirt on that metal show. And I started getting texts and emails from all my friends going, hey, uh, that, that guy on the metal show is wearing your buddy's band t-shirt or whatever. I got all kinds of text messages and, uh, and, and sure enough, I'm watching and yeah, you're wearing the broken teeth shirt, which I thought was awesome. Uh, but how do you, how did you and Jason meet in the first place? I was on some, I don't know. I was on the internet one night and I was listening to some ACDC stuff or something. Maybe I was looking something up and it said, if, if you like ACDC, try this band, I think. And I just wound up on the Broken Teeth website or whatever. I'm like, what the fuck? This is amazing. And I'm trying to look it up. I'm like, who's in this band? I never heard of them. And then I saw it was Jason. I'm like, holy shit, I know Jason. This must be a side project. And then like a month later, I was in Austin. I ordered a bunch of shirts, the albums. Jason said he sent it to me. He didn't even know who I was at the point, at that point. And when I went to Austin, like a month later, I was doing comedy. I went on the local morning show and I kept talking about broken teeth. I'm like, I might get back to him. Hopefully, usually in the town, I'll talk about a band and someone was talking about you on the radio. 
and I get somehow Jason heard it and we met, went up meeting up that weekend and we became friends. Wow. That's awesome. I love the fact that you were wearing that shirt on the show. That was, Oh yeah. I always wanted to get bands like, you know, some up and coming bands, you know, pop, you know, people go see that. Oh, broken teeth. I got to see what that check it, check that band out. You know, if we couldn't have them on, you know, everything had to go through VH1 if they could approve the guests or whatever. But if we couldn't have them on, at least wear the band t-shirt or feature their album and like a little segment and stuff. So, yeah. Did anyone ever have to approve the, the, the band t-shirts you're wearing? Was there a no, wardrobe? No, ward, no, no wardrobe we, police. They told us like, you guys dress like slobs. I go, this is the way I dress. Like you're on TV or I don't care. This is what I dress. This I, <laughs> I wear they this actually my said you guys dress like slobs. Yeah, they yeah, told yeah. You. They go, yeah, you guys dress like slobs. I guess. But I think that that's and they would give us like five five hundred dollars uh, each season for wardrobe, and I just go buy concert shirts. Fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I you know from an audience perspective, I think it lends you some authenticity. Not that you needed any because you that's who you are to begin with. But nobody wants to turn on that metal show and want to see a guy wearing an Izod polo. Well, I know that's what they probably thought. Like, you guys should dress nice. Like, I just, I'm comfortable in this. So they, yeah. they were fine. They didn't really, but they, I remember them telling us, you guys dress like slobs. I thought that was funny. <laughs> on, the, on the pilot episode, I wore an Accept shirt. That was fucking great. <laughs> well, you're um, flying You're flying the flag for a lot of people, and they need to realize that. You're you're a, a voice for the cause. You know so what happened you- a couple of times? I almost got in trouble. It was weird because... I guess I got some shirts, probably drunk in a parking lot after the show, you know, the bootleg shirts. Yeah. You know, about five bucks he's selling them at the last minute or whatever. And I'm like, all right, I'll take it, you know, whatever. I bought one inside, but this one's pretty cool. It's another shirt, like an anthrax shirt I don't have, even though it's a bootleg. And I didn't realize later on, I, there was at least two bands that I wore a bootleg shirt on the show and the band saw it like, hey, Teddy, tell, ask Jim where he got that shirt. We never heard of it. I'm like, oh shit, I got a, I got in the park a lot. They didn't get a cut from him. I'm like, I don't know, a fan sent it to me. That's what I would say, a fan sent it to me. I didn't know, I don't know where it came from. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, oh shit, that must've been a bootleg that I bought for five bucks in the parking mm-hmm. lot that they didn't get a cut from. Yeah, if you buy a shirt for five bucks, it's not legit. Yeah, maybe 10, but yeah, you know, when they're selling yeah. them, you know, they got them, you know, in their pant leg, you know, you got a medium. Yeah, I got a medium. Yeah. How much, you know, looking around. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Once in a while, I'll buy them if I bought one inside because it's an extra shirt. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We had, uh, when we had Don Jameson on the show, I asked him if he ever uh, had, you know, ever got permission to use like uh, the denim and leather album cover for the cover of his comedy album. And he was like, oh, <laughs> am i supposed to get permission i was like and uh, next subject <laughs> so he was a little worried you know not too worried but uh it was no i think of, he did get permission because he's friends with biff yeah and then you he know, went so, on to tell us yeah that he yeah and he did. yeah he, he mentioned talking it over with biff at some point and biff was like yeah dude whatever we i remember we uh you know we have these prank call albums on me and don jameson called terrorizing telemarketers yes. and just volume one two three so of course volume four had to be a knockoff of the volume four cover i'm on the uh. front with the aussie with the peace signs holding a phone and don's on the <laughs> other end just like yeah but it's terrorizing telemarketers volume four and i remember my go oh my god we might get sued for this who knows and i remember i was at that point i was i was friends with jack osborne ozzy's son yeah yeah and he was all into my prank calls and i remember i had a copy of it he's like dude bring it over i want to hear the new i want to hear the new stuff i gave it to him on like a paper sleeve he's like where's the there's no jewel case i go this is the only one i have right now because i didn't want him to see the cover 
in case, you know, his mom saw it. And I got the, you know, the yeah. can't put this thing out. So I didn't if, ask for permission. But I if guess, anyone I could, if, if anyone could have had your ass, it would have been Jack's mom. Yeah. Right, right. So I yeah. was just like, I better not. I'm not going to leave this cover. He might have it on the counter. Sharon comes over. He's like, what the, what the hell is this? <laughs> I remember I gave him in a paper sleeve. Like, yeah, sorry. I don't have any jewel cases right now. It's the only one copy I got on me. <laughs> did he finally see it? Did they finally see he it? He probably did, but they yeah. didn't say anything. I, Sharon actually likes me, so she probably oh. wouldn't have said anything. Uh, you're in an elite, you're in an elite company yeah. then. That's good. So uh, speaking Small of uh, terrorizing uh, telemarketers, uh, I'm one of these guys that I don't answer the phone ever, and I sure don't answer my door. So one of the, what I wanted to ask you is, for those of us, uh, for those our listeners who are out there who uh, you know pick up the phone or answer the door, and it's a salesperson, uh, what's your best piece of advice for a telemarketer on the phone? How do you how do you shut that down or drag it out to, until you drive them crazy? What what's your best tactic? Yeah, I mean, I, I drive it out. I try, I try to keep them on as long as possible, you know, because just to torture them, you know, because, you know, I knew early on, like, as long as you don't curse or tell them you don't want the product, they have a supervisor listening in, so they're not going to just hang up. So I always just pretend like, hey, man, I'm just trying to get the information, whatever do or whatever way I'm screwing them around. <laughs> so I'm just, you know, I think they're just happy. They're happy to get somebody actually on the, uh, say on the phone. They probably had 10 people in a row going, don't ever call here again. Put me on the do not call list. Stop bothering me. And then all of a sudden they get me and like, oh, wait, this guy, I might have a sale here, even though it's this is weird, whatever's going on. <laughs> How long have you dragged someone out? An hour. It never made the album, but yeah, easily. I one one woman's like, "Sir, it's a, it's an hour. I have to get off the phone. We're le tech legally at our company." I I go, "I just got a few more questions. I think I committed kept like an hour and three, and she had to cut the call." Oh my god, how do you even keep going for that length of time? Because I, I have nothing going on during the day. I have a lot of free time. <laughs> There's an art to that. That's why you make albums. There is oh, an so art it, to it. I can yeah. hear you going, "Hey, so if I if you know, let's say that I send you the check, you know, do I get like a?" A mug and a T-shirt or something. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. I, they're, they're always wanting your credit card information. Like, yeah, some person that just called me. I'm gonna uh, hold on. Let me get my credit card. I'll give you all yeah. my information on the phone. <clears throat> yeah, right. yeah, I'm sure you're legit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what what's the best piece of advice you have for shutting down someone that, who knocks on your door? I don't get that anymore. You guys still get that in Texas? Yeah, we get it. I just don't answer. Yeah, I don't know. I never. No one knocks on. I haven't had anyone knock on my door trying to sell me shit, which is. Texas, I'm surprised they don't get shot. You know, you guys yeah. don't get your fucking guns. Um, no, I don't have that. But the guy wouldn't open my door either. But I've never had that in my house for 11 years. I've been living here where so you know salesmen knocked. Wow. Sometimes I get like uh, high school students selling coupons for uh, you know they're having like a bake sale or something. Okay. Shit, you know? Right. G Girl Scout cookies, whatever. You know. Yeah. I, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. I just refuse to answer, and some people just think that's so strange. And I think the opposite. I think it's strange that you do open the door Absolutely. Or, pick, or pick up the phone and carry on a conversation with someone who's trying to sell you something. I just spare myself the misery and ignore well, it. Well, I only do it because I put albums out. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I have a motive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, I, like the album's been out, and it's been done for like two months. I just disconnected my home phone because I don't want to deal with it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done for now. It's almost like an hour. I'm out of the studio. I don't want to even think about going back in the studio. So I just unplugged the phone. So because it would ring constantly, I hooked up my home phone. I would do it from there. 
wire or to record or hooked up to the phone. Mm-hmm. But when I'm not doing it, it's out of sight, out of mind. I want nothing to do with it. I'm not, you know, so until I start doing another one, who knows when, if I do another one, I won't, you know, that phone's off the hook. It's unplugged. <laughs> yeah, probably a smart move. I, you know, I was looking at your discography and it's pretty impressive. I don't know if people realize how many albums and books and uh, voiceovers you've done. I mean, it's, uh, it's quite the spread. You're kind of all over the place. Um, how did you get hooked on comedy initially? What was your, who was your hero or what was the moment? Who did you see on TV or on stage or in the movies and said, I want to do that for a living? I always wanted to be a band. All my friends were in bands and I was a lefty, so nobody could teach me guitar. Mm. You know, like if you're a righty and I couldn't do anything righty, I'm like, I can't. Like, well, I can't teach you. I went for singing lessons. I went one time and a woman's like, listen, at the end, she goes, listen, you want me to be honest? She goes, you don't have it. You just don't have an ear for music. She goes, you could keep coming. I I could take your money or, you know, maybe at some point you might develop it, but I just don't see it. I'm like, I appreciate that. I wasn't bummed out. I just, okay, at least I knew that inhabit and then all my friends were playing in bands these local bands i'm like i want to get on stage somehow and i was always attracted to stand-up comedy i always wanted to be my own boss and i was like you know i'm gonna do, i'm gonna do stand-up you know and then I, when i went up one time i'm like man this is what i want to do you know yeah. just that freedom of just being up there and performing and stuff like that it wasn't necessarily a band you know but then i realized i go i don't have to worry about getting along with four other members in the band it's just me i have right. to deal with myself yeah. so but then again, if things go wrong, you can only blame me. I can't blame the bass player. Right. Off that night. How old were you? 25 is when I first hit, went on okay. stage for the first time. I wasn't right. sure what I was doing. I was DJing. Like I was DJing at the Virtual Rock Club. I am on DJ business. But then, oh my God, I got to do something. I got to make a move here. And then, uh, you know, I went on stage and, and that was it. So your DJ yeah, he- business, was that like weddings and shit? I did weddings. Yeah. I was the rock the metal guy on Friday nights. Oh, um, yeah. You know, and then Mondays, uh, I, I DJ. There was a strip club during the day. I DJ that. You know, and then um, I was on a local radio show, just playing like shitty music, whatever. But it was a radio. Um, and then I just like, and then they were telling me what songs to play. Like at night, the, the the radio show I was, the radio station I was on was a small station. After six o'clock, you could play whatever you want. So they gave me a three-hour shift. So I brought in all my metal records, and I was doing like a three-hour metal show once a week. Oh, that's cool. Me and yeah. my two buddies, it was fucking great. And then um, and then I they gave me the morning show there. They go, well, once you're on the mornings, you got a good voice. And I was only like 22 at the time. And uh, right. then I had to start playing like adult contemporary rock. I was playing like Elton John. I'm like, this stinks. Right. Phil <laughs> Collins solo stuff. I'm like, this is terrible. You know, I, would, <laughs> I remember one time I snuck in like, uh, I think Aerosmith Dream On and the program director calls, you can't play that. I go, it's a ballad. You can't play that. It doesn't fit our format. I'm like, fuck this. And that's why I was like, I got to get up on stage. I ain't dealing with this shit. I don't want to play wow. Susu Studio <laughs> by Phil Collins. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you know, I, I could I could start an argument here about adult contemporary music, which I actually really, really like. But Like who? As, like who? As, oh, I like Elton John a lot. No, I own you absolutely. I, I didn't yeah. mean to throw him in the mix, but you're yeah, not. Elton John's you're not. a legend. Yeah, I just want to bring 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 up the fact that uh, that even though we're you know we're we our guests are mainly metalheads, it's like understandably you're you're a young DJ in with a position on the morning show having to play something that you're not exactly excited about. Period. Sounds like fucking hell. 
No, and even when I did weddings, you know, I probably got paid like 500 bucks for a four-hour wedding, and then they would give you a tip. So it was pretty yeah. good money back in the day. Sure. And I hated playing those songs. I didn't want to play that stuff because I was a metalhead. I remember guys coming up, hey, can you play? Uh, I remember that bo- uh, bo- that song was really popular, Buster Poindexter, Hot, Hot, Hot. I yeah, go, yeah, yeah. No, I go, that song stinks. I'm not playing that. Like, come on. it's a good. Like, I'm not playing it. I would argue with people. <laughs> like, I'm not playing it. I remember I put Metallica on one time when they were eating. They were fucking mad. <laughs> wow i put orion on it's a fucking you know it's there's no words it's instrumental right. yeah yeah i well, was at least a buster poindexter at least you were playing a new york doll yeah exactly but that hot 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 was terrible no, it's it's just like, he was it's it was like, all, no, all over the radio and all that i'm like Ugh. and they want yeah, like but, b52's love shack i'm like that song stinks well no. what <laughs> what did you think about when dd ramon went rap I don't remember that. Oh, you're lucky. I must have blocked it out. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're good to go then. I have it on vinyl over here. Yeah, of course you do. It's uh, it hasn't been played in a long, long time. Ooh, it's fucking terrible. I played (laughs) it for. I had a student the other day at school. uh, uh, They were they're a big Ramones fan. I go, you remember when Dee Dee went rap? And they went, oh, what? Yeah. And I played it for them, and they were like, they I I I had to dial nine one one because they just didn't understand it at all. Anyway. I went to uh, I was a DJ in college uh, on the college radio station. And and my shtick was I I went to uh, I went to school specifically for journalism because I wanted to kind of like you. I was I wanted to be in a band and I really never pursued it and had no musical talent or at least I didn't develop it. I got frustrated and I quit. Uh, but one day, I, you know, as a fan, I'm constantly reading all the music magazines and all that stuff. And I realized one day somebody's getting paid to interview these bands and take these photos, et cetera, that, you know, that comprise a magazine. And I thought, there's my in. I can uh, maybe I can get a degree in journalism and work for a magazine as a writer. Uh, so then I went to college to get my degree in journalism. And while I was in college, I, you know, it's all under the umbrella of communications. So there was a semester there where I ventured into the radio station and had a shift on the air. And for me, it was, I was the token metalhead punk rocker on the college radio station. So none of the other DJs cared anything about the music that I wanted to play. So when all the new albums, the promo albums started coming in, I was the guy that would introduce them on the air because I was the only guy that cared about Iggy Pop and the Ramones. And then I I thought for a moment there that maybe I would go into radio. But then it occurred to me as someone who used to do manual labor all day long, listening to the radio uh, back before, you know, when when DJs had to follow a playlist, I realized, you know what? These poor saps have to listen through the same 10 songs all day, every day. There is no freedom of expression. There is no introducing your favorite bands to the listeners. I don't think this is for me. So did you have some of that same experience? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I just, I I wanted to play the songs that I liked that I wanted to play because I think it spoiled me when I had that night shift from, you know, like seven to 10, three hours, play my own stuff. Yeah. My friends on, then all of a sudden it was, became corporate. And I'm like, I don't want to, and you know, even, you know, when I did the weddings too, I was like, I I, I don't want to play this stuff. I know it was good money. I'm like, all right, I just got to deal with it. You know, so. But yeah. I think the morning show playing that kind of music really frustrated me because it was the same station where at night it could be the metal show. So, and that's what gear does. Like I gotta get out of this. I want. I'm gonna get into stand up. I gotta. I gotta find a different, different way to get up on stage. You know? Seems seems to me that like 
if you have your three-hour metal show, you know, you and your buddies uh, hanging out playing anything you want. Uh, thank God it was metal. Um, and then, you know, a few hours later, you go home, shower, get up in the morning, and you're you're playing, you know, Journey or or, or Alan Parsons Project <laughs> or whatever. You are the same voice that was playing, you know, Behemoth and Slayer, just to use, you know. Yeah, no, they, they once I got the morning show, they didn't have me do the, that metal show anymore at night. Oh, so oh they, that, so. they cut it. Yeah, they cut it. They wow, cut well, it, you're, yeah. if you had any kind of following from your from your your stint as a you know as playing you know as a free for all a metal show, if they recognized you, your name, your voice on this morning show, they're like, wait, isn't that the metal guy? What the fuck? You know, there was yeah. probably some kind of like confusion going on. If you if you would have garnered any any foothold at all. Uh, I wonder if if it, do, you, do you feel like you had a good thing going with that, where you had a lot of call-ins and and yeah, oh yeah, we had a good thing going with the with the, the metal show. But then I'm like, I got offered the morning show at like 22, 23 years old. So like that's always the goal. That's the prime spot, right? You know, you do the morning show, but then I realized, you know, you had to, you had to think about the paycheck a little bit. You got to eat and pay rent. Yeah, our, yeah. Our, and our show, our metal show was called the Below the Belt Rock Show. I remember it. It was like, oh, good. and we advertised it the only three hours on the radio where you'll never hear a Bruce Springsteen song. <laughs> wow. Bruce Springsteen was huge in Jersey. It was yeah. all about, and I hated him. I'm like, all right, with Bruce Springsteen, he stinks, dancing wow. in the dark. You know, like, <laughs> glory days. It's just silly. Yeah, you know, so, I, so it was always, you know, the, the, I, to me, he's still overrated. You know, but, you know, so we advertise like there's only three hours where you'll never hear a Springsteen song. <laughs> wow. I bet I bet local, local Jersey natives were like, fuck, fuck a Jim Florentine. Fuck Probably. You, but Jim you know what? They, were they really tuning in to listen to Y&T Black, and, Black Tiger? Right. You know what I mean? So No, yeah. they wouldn't understand it. You're right. They wouldn't I understand get, it. So I, we I get were playing the to our audience and we hated them. We all hated them. Like, yeah, it was you're, just drawing like, a, you're drawing a line in the sand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like enough yeah. with him. I, right. I grew up in San Antonio, and people that listen to the podcast have heard me say this a million times. There was a great DJ named Joe Anthony. They called him the Godfather, and he used to play. This is back when DJs could kind of steer their own ship. So he introduced me to Accept and Helix and you know, Killer Dwarves and you know all this stuff that otherwise wouldn't ha have crossed my ears, you know. And uh, so he was kind of my inspiration for maybe going into DJing. And then I got a little taste of it in college, and I still had the freedom to play the punk rock and the metal. But then as a career, which is what you're saying, you start looking at uh, trying to go out and get jobs and uh, earn a paycheck and appeal to the masses. And your dream is to get the drive time shift. You ain't playing Killer Dwarves on the drive time shift. <laughs> and you're, in fact, you're playing the same 10 songs every day over and over and over. So that's what kind of turned me off. No, and it was the same. It's the same thing with my stand-up comedy. Like I wasn't going to be like this clean, you know, David Letterman Tonight Show comic. You know, with your four minutes of like clever, silly jokes. So I was like, I would always wanted to be edgy, dirty, raunchy. Like that was my style. I'm like, it's gonna, it's. I'm gonna have to find a different avenue to make it instead of going on a Tonight Show. But that's what I wanted to do. I, I wasn't even going to kowtow to that and write my act towards a TV act so I can get on TV because that's not gonna. That's not who I am. Right. Yeah. You right. know, I like it. I got to say this, and this is something I hadn't really, really ever 
uh, thought about, but, you know, not to call it a dynamic duo with you and Don, but, but your, you guys' show, I mean, the, the goal or, or your description of your set is very similar to the description probably of his set. Some of the same, you know, ideas and name drops and checks and everything like that. But your shows are not the same. Your delivery is not the same. You guys probably work off of, have been working off of each other for years and years and years now. That's no secret. But in my opinion, your sets are different. You guys oh, yeah, have definitely. a different I'm, a different way to say it. Yeah, I'm more dry and sarcastic. Yeah, you know your, so, your uh, setup your setups are more like questionnaire. Yeah, and his are are narrative. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. And he talks more music in his act, like more music related. I don't talk too much music in my act because I have a weird, a diverse audience. I have some that metal show fans. I got fans from Comedy Central. I got Howard Stern yeah. fans. I got regular comedy. So it's, you know, I can't talk about Iron Maiden and Eddie because four people in the, in the crowd might get it. So right. I just kind of, I just, I don't talk about that when I'm on stage. I, I just see them. Even if I bring it like in New York City, I was just there last night. If I talk about ACDC in front of these 25-year-old kids of like, I think I know that band. It's not my dad liked them. It was that one song. Yeah, so they're, they're completely <laughs> out of that's AC, even ACDC. So I just stay away from that. Yeah, their yeah. faces go blank, and you have yeah. to you yeah. have to you have to aim for the bullseye. Yeah, like you would think. Okay, I, I can't say you know I can't say Motorhead, but I could say ACDC, and they still just stare at you. So right. <laughs> as sad as that is, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. You mentioned uh, Sam Kennison early in this episode, and uh, I, I read his book, and one of the things I liked about, there was many things I liked about the book, but one of the points that stuck with me all these years is he did a very good job of articulating the loneliness and the solitary you know, nature of comedy as a career. Uh, you know, And it's like alluding to what you said earlier about you know, if you were in a band and it, and it and everything went south, you could blame the bass player. But uh, you're out there on your own. You're basically naked on stage. Uh, you're up and coming, so you don't have a name yet. You don't have a reputation yet. How how strange and lonely and weird is that existence going from city to city as basically a solo performer uh, trying to crack jokes for a living? No, I was just talking to someone last night, my son, who's 12, he started doing stand-up when he was like six. So I, he'd come on my show, he'd do a few jokes on stage, and he was getting really good at it. He would perform in front of 500 people at seven wow. years old, fearless. Wow. And he was good, I'm like, man, he's got a future. And then he's not doing it anymore. You know, he's 12 now, he's playing basketball, he's hanging out with his friends, and I tell people, and he's also great at music too. He could play Mr. Crowley on the keyboards, the whole song. Wow. wow. Like he was great with that shit too. And I just, and then he's steered away from that too. And I said, I don't want to push either lifestyle on him. I go, do, do I really want him to be at a Holiday Inn off some highway in the middle of friggin' Michigan from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, doing a comedy club, isolated by himself, doesn't know anyone, while all of his friends are having a great time going to parties and hanging out? You miss a lot of stuff. It yeah. is, it's a lonely, it's really lonely. Like you, you don't know anyone in town. You just kind of hang, you wait for the show, you're bored, you walk to the fucking subway sandwich shop to get some food and then you just wait for the show that night. So I'm like, I don't know if I want him to have that lifestyle. So that's why I don't push it on him. But yeah, it is, it is tough. But then also it's like, I don't know. I just, once you start making a good living, telling jokes, you, you almost can't believe it. Like, is this, is this really? 
I'm just, I'm just being myself and I can make really good money. This is fucking awesome. So I look oh, at yeah. it that way. Well, I'm not working in a factory. I'm not working in a nine to five job. Like I never, you know, when I saw that movie Office Space, which is based out of like Austin, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I saw yeah. that, I knew that movie. I saw it in the theater. So I was a big Mike Judge fan. I go, that I will never do that. So I need to focus on comedy. It made yeah. it's inspired me, and it's still to this day of sitting in a cubicle would, would drive me insane. So yeah. I always yeah. said I got to work and work hard, hard, and just keep doing this. Mike Judge is you, Mike yeah, Judge you, is a realist, man. He, he's letting you have he it. He nailed that, man. Did, oh yeah, did he nailed that movie? Yeah. Yeah, idiocracy. That, yeah, that uh, one too. Yeah. Just, I think that he's just a realist. He's just telling everybody there. Well, this is you, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, you, you know, you, you said that you make a, a good living now, and of course, people recognize you and know you. But you, you've obviously you paid your dues, and that's kind of what I was talking about—the lonely night at the Holiday Inn on the Access Road. And the well, you know, just like a band, there was always girls to hold you over, and. <laughs> You know, when I was making like $250 a week, like two, three years in the comedy, to me, I already made it. I'm like, I'm getting paid. I was living at home. I didn't have any bills. I go, I made it. I'm all right. I always thought like a rock band playing clubs and just trying to build a following through the clubs and maybe get the theaters. That's the way I always looked at it. I always had merchandise afterwards, get my name out there, meet people after the show. I treated it like I was a fuck, like a club rock band and just trying to build that audience. And just yeah. that I was making a living and I didn't have to work you know, a different job. And I was living at home. My parents let me live rent free as I started building my career. I'm like, I already made it. Yeah. Yeah. At that point. There's probably like a lot of, there's probably a lot of like rock fans that don't realize that a comics life is very much like a young band, you know, oh, booking yeah. their own shows, getting in a bar, playing bars every night. Um, when you're in the middle of nowhere, like, uh, like you guys have, have said here and, and the, w what we're talking about here, at least in a band, you have each other. You guys right. can have some beers together. You can, you know, spend a few bucks and go to the Taco Bell so you don't, so you have gas to get to the next fucking gig the next day. Hard right. times, but you're smiling because yeah. similar, like, what? I'm getting paid to be myself and tell jokes. And like, what? People are coming to the show and sure, I'll play a cover or two, but they're, they're buying my music too. This is fucking great. You know, so yeah. in a sense, in your head, you feel like, you know, at age 19 or whatever, I'm happy that I could do this for the rest of my life. Mom, I'm dropping out of school kind of shit like that, you know? Um, and then you realize later on, it's like, oh shit, I need an agent. When, when did that happen? When was it, when did it get to a certain point where you realize maybe I need a booking agent? Well, yeah, you're always looking for one right away. You think you're great when you first start. You're like, oh, man, I should be on HBO. And you're not like really months. great. You're just no, I like. Stunk. I was terrible. Yeah, you're just like lucky. I'm lucky. This is fucking awesome. You know, it's like a band. Like, you know, the first song they ever write when they're like 17, they think it's going to be a hit. I'm like, I go, you know, and they, they're pushing it the first song. I'm like, don't push that because you, you, you're you going to burn bridges because wherever connection you think you might have, if they hear that, they don't want to hear anything from you for a while because it's not that good. So yeah, not gonna like, exactly. what do I got? So, Unless you're, you're Steven excited. Tyler and you're Steven Tyler, you're 17, you write Dream On. I think he right. wrote Dream On when he was 17. So wow, there are, okay. there's yeah, people there are, that break so, the fucking There are some exceptions, absolutely. But <laughs> yeah. most of the time it's it's bad. Yeah. So, yes. um, but no, about three, four years in, I got, I probably got pretty much got my first agent. You know, it's funny cause I, I got my agent basically through Don. So Don was, this is, 
mid nineties, Don was working an MTV at the time. He was booking a comedy show, half hour oh, wow. MTV, half hour comedy hour. And wow. I was doing comedy a few years. I went to like a Christmas party at like for uh, this comedy club. And this guy, this comedian that knew Don, he was, he was on the show a bunch of times. I was friends with him. He goes, Hey, I'm going to introduce you to this guy that works at MTV. I think he's going to like you. I had long hair back then. Don had long hair. And he went up to him. He goes, Hey Don, he goes, I think you're going to like this guy. He's from New Jersey. He likes heavy metal and hanging out in strip clubs. And Don's like, really? We sat and talked for like two hours. And Don's like, hey man, I want to come see you do stand-up. I booked I book the MTV comedy show. I'm like, yeah, I love that. He goes, all right, I'm gonna come. I'll set it up at the club. I'll see you, you know, a few nights. And he went out and saw my set and he booked me on there. And then I got a college agent from there and an agent and everything else. It was from that being on MTV and doing well and meeting Don and then Don, you know, he's a pretty big executive at MTV at the time. Wow. We, you know, we talk on the phone. He's like, hey, man, I want, I'm thinking about doing stand-up. I might want to come to one of your gigs if that's cool. Meanwhile, I'm doing, like, these shitty still rock clubs and stuff, these bars. I'm like, I don't want this big MTV executive. I want him to think that I'm doing really well yeah. and I'm playing these, like, nice venues. He's like, oh, I'll come to your show. I go, nah, man, this one. And he's like, I don't care, man. I just want to go check it out, see the scene. And I took him to some shit gig, and, we, you know, and he's like, man, I could definitely do this you know, watching and stuff like that. And we just became friends from there. And then he left MTV and started doing stand-up full-time. Wow. So but he you sort were... of actually got me. Once I got that MTV thing, it was on TV. I had a great tape and all the colleges got started wanting to book me and I got an agent and they started booking me. So that's how it started. And Don that's... actually... I never knew that, that part of your story. I never knew that. Or Don. Because I didn't know Don growing up. You know, he grew up in Jersey probably 30 minutes from me, but I didn't, I never crossed past him. I didn't know who he was. Well, you guys like turned around and basically inspired each other. Yeah. 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 Wow. I I just want to point out that Steven Tyler may have written Dream On when he was a kid, but it wasn't a hit until about five years later. So you're right. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. Uh, Jim, tell me about what do you remember about your first crank call as a kid? Obviously, you've had plenty of practice in order to do these records. So do you remember ordering a pizza to your neighbor's house or calling the fire truck to the local school or anything like that? Yeah, well, there was two that um, this one girl I remember in seventh grade, me and my friend Tony, there was this girl that had these huge tits in seventh grade. They were so big and we were like. She was so hot and we found her number in the phone book and we go, we called it up and, and she's like, hello. We knew it was her. Her name was Donna. I'm like, yeah, this is a national survey. We just want to uh, call in to see what your bra size is. And she's like, is this Jim? Oh, shit. And she hung up on me. And she knew right away. <laughs> I probably sounded like this in seventh grade. You know, that was like my first prank call. And then there was another one where we were just pranking people. And if we got a woman on the phone, we just yell on the phone, how big are your tits? <laughs> and they would hang up. I'm just stupid, you know. So I remember I was at my friend Tony's house and he was upstairs. I was downstairs and I was doing a dialing and then he would pick the phone up. So I go, all right, we're taking turns doing that. Thought it was funny. And I look at his refrigerator and there's a piece of paper that says mom's office number. She worked as a dental assistant. So I dialed the number. I go, okay, it's your turn. You yell it. So she goes, uh, dental, whatever. And he goes, how big are your tits? And she's like, is this Tony? What do you call me at work for? What, 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 what are you saying? And he hung up and he wound up chasing me out of the house all the way, bringing down the road. He was so pissed. <laughs> so I remember those early on. <laughs> Yes, his mom, how big his tits were. <laughs> and then, and this launched a career. Amazing. It launched a career. I got to think I'm on to something. <laughs> yeah. 
you can't do that nowadays with all the caller ID and the tracing and no, all. If you hit just star six seven, it comes up private or out of area. If you hit star six seven, then dial a number, your number doesn't come up. Yeah, oh. Dave, there's ways around that. Yeah, there's ways yeah, around that. I'm, I'm the guy that never pro. answers the phone, so I don't know yeah. anything about this. Yeah. So uh, I read somewhere that you uh, you opened for uh, both Slayer and Metallica. Is that right? Yeah. Tell me about those experiences. How did how did you get those gigs? And then what was it like going on in front of those audiences? Well, Metallica was a, they did this Orion Fest. Yeah. They only did two shows. They did one in Atlantic City and one in Detroit. And they would they did they did two nights. They had a bunch of bands. They did the Black Album from beginning to end and Ride the Lightning from beginning to end. And they had a comedy stage, too. They had like four or five different stages where a bunch of bands had comedians. So I was picked to do, you know, a, you know, I was a comic. Me Don did it, too. So we, you know, technically opened for Metallica. We went on during the day at like 4 o'clock. They went on at like 9 or whatever. But, you know, they, they had picked us to do the show, which is great. The, the metal show was on the air. Lars wound up introducing us on stage, which was cool. So, oh, sure. And then the Slayer tour was Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax back in 2010. I was um, at that. You got me into the San Antonio. We sat in the box up high yeah. watching Slayer for oh, a Yeah, I remember. I that. think that was the first night of the tour, maybe. That's a Jägermeister tour, I think. Yeah, Jägermeister. Yeah. Jägermeister. So I was working for Jägermeister as the host and MC, and they had me do like three, uh, five minutes in between each band. You know, giveaways to promote Jägermeister and tell some jokes, whatever. And then I think San Antonio might have been the first night because I remember they were throwing beers at me like when I was at the soundboard. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> because I did the first set, like Anthrax, and the, the building's like, you know, 4,000 people in there, 3,000. They were great for five minutes. I bring them on. Then I go on before Megadeth. That was a little rough. But then the last one, I have to go on right before Slayer. And they already saw me twice. And with Slayer, I remember they had a big stage. So the curtain was covering the whole stage because I had a huge stage thing. So I couldn't be on this, the main stage for my third set. So they put me at the soundboard in the middle of the venue. And all of a sudden I get the mic, hello, I'm here. And they hit a spotlight on me. So everyone had to turn around. They think Slayer's coming on because it's like five to nine or whatever. And all of a sudden I'm like, hey, you guys, I'm back over here by the soundboard. And now all the people in the front have to turn around like, you gotta be this guy again? <laughs> Enough with the fucking jokes, who cares? But that's what I had to do. I remember I'm throwing beers. Like I see missiles coming at me as I'm talking because they're like pissed. I remember one blood splashed all over the soundboard. They were freaking out. Yeah. You know, definitely. like, hey, man, this is where to put me. What, I, I can't help it. You know, I remember the next night they were like put a tarp over it. They cleared all the families out, yeah. of, get out of here. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Who who booked this puppet? Jägermeister. Yeah. Jägermeister, uh, you know, hired me for the tour. Yeah. But but, you know, the logistics of putting you at the soundboard where you're either going to piss people off, say something wrong right before Slayer. I mean, you had it all stacked against you. Yeah, I didn't know. Like, we didn't know that I couldn't. The curtain was covering the whole stage. Like, no, he can't be on the stage. So, he's, right. And then, and then they would move me around. Like, start certain venues, I'd be up in a skybox, you know, and they put the spotlight on me. So it was just weird, the third one, you know, because I couldn't right. be on that stage. But it was horrible. But it was good money, and I was like, you know what? That metal show just—it it was on the air for a couple seasons, so like people are going to know me, which they did. But they, you know, at some point, like, all right, do it enough. Who cares? I'd say yeah. it worked but I don't out. have to tell them. I say, listen, I'm I'm doing five minutes before Slayer. I go, I'm not taking any time away from Slayer because I was always that drunk guy in the audience when the local DJ would come out and he start be babbling. Meanwhile, the local DJ never played Maiden. Oh, yeah. priest. And no, he's yeah. out there like, get the fuck. You guys, what, you played Living After Midnight once? Yeah. Right. 
So I would right. be mad because I'd be the drunk guy going, you're just babbling. I could hear another Ozzy song. Shut the fuck up. Bring right. them on. So I'd tell the crowd, listen, I got Slayer's coming on at 9 o'clock. It's 8.54 right now. I'm getting off at 8.59, and then they're coming on in a minute later. I go, so I'm not taking any time away from them. I go, if you don't like, want to hear a few jokes, go take a piss, go get a beer. I got to do my job. Here's five minutes. Fuck you. And just go out and do it. See, you're keeping it real. That's you're a great. fan. You know so how I to know. I've been in that situation. Yeah. 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 Man, that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's called Know Your It's It was funny because I, I was just married at the time, and I, I just had a baby, and my wife was worried you know, she, she she likes country music. She has not no didn't know anything about metal, and she was worried. Oh, there's going to be girls all around, and you you know these groupies. I go, that's not. It's not that crowd. She's like, I I don't believe you. You know, we just got married. We got a family at home. I go, I'm telling you, I'm not going to do anything. I go, it's not that crowd. And I remember we're doing a gig in Baltimore. It was like the third night of the tour, and she came down. You know, because it was close to home, and she saw the crowd. She goes, Yeah, I got nothing to worry about. She goes, You don't have to call me at the end of the night. I'm good. <laughs> Because it was like two chicks in the crowd out of 15,000 people. So right. Good. Yeah. And they yeah. were probably pretty scary. I mean, yeah, yeah, they were. women <laughs> women love metal. Women love Slayer. Women love Anthem. They love it. But it's not that kind of a situation. Nah. Yeah. No, especially, especially, especially a full show of that from, you know, 7 oh, o'clock yeah. to 11 o'clock, four oh. hours of thrash. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough to take even, even as a guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I I can vouch for that. Uh, my son is 14 years old and he's, you know, dragging me to every concert that comes through town. And uh, right now his taste in music is, is pretty extreme. So he likes all the sepulturas and the, the power trips and the. You know, uh, all the stuff that is, you know, the, the the spawn of the big four, basically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I want to take him to these gigs because I want him to experience what I experienced as a kid. But now I'm an old man and, you know, the, every bill has like five bands booked on it or whatever. And I'm like, Jesus, I can't take any more of this. Right, and he knows, yeah, my, my, my nephew's like that. He knows every band, so he wants to get in there for the first band. Like, oh, right. this sucks. Right, and, and, and he wants to get the good position and I'm trying to stay in the back and you know all that stuff and so yeah it's kind of it's kind of brutal but at the same time you want him to enjoy that experience because yeah. i know i enjoyed it when i was a kid yeah yeah but now you want to bring a lawn chair and a football helmet <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly and i want to be home by 10 p.m <laughs> same same yeah. <laughs> mm. so what's next for you jim uh, what are you currently working on no, they just put the, you know, the Terrorizing Telemarketers, Volume 7 just came out yesterday. Number one comedy album. Wow. Congratulations. Number one on iTunes. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. So it's still number one. So that's cool. You know, um, and just doing the stand up, you know, focusing on that. You're you know, right. Just special, I put a comedy special out called Bite the Bullet, which is one of my favorite Motorhead songs. Yeah. yeah that's what a album good is one. that off? What album is that off? Bite the Bullet. That's, that's Ace of Spades, isn't it? Of course. Yeah. I knew you would know that. Yeah. 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 Uh, but anyway, There's, so it's, yeah, so it, that's out there. It's, uh, you know, I put that, I was on YouTube for a while. Now it's like uh, mycomedystore.com. You can watch it, rent it, and buy it there. All my stuff's on Amazon Prime, except it is special. Amazon Prime actually rejected my comedy special because they said the title, Bite the Bullet, is inciting violence. Oh, God. Here we go. Swear to God. And it's just me like a character, and I'm holding a plate with a bullet on it, making a goofy face. Yeah, and but bite the bullet is inciting violence, and they won't put it on. To don't they know it's a dick joke? They don't know it's a dick joke. 
No. I <laughs> mean, we want to know if you, I don't know if you watched on Amazon Prime, they have a show called Terminalist. It's the yeah. second most streamed show yeah. besides Stranger Things, where yeah. Chris Pratt just is like a modern day Charles Bronson kills everyone. Yeah. Wow. And it's huge to show. But bite the bullet, uh, that's a fan incite violence. Yeah. Right. Well, it's I, uh, all it's all in the title. You're they they're afraid of anything with gun, rifle, pistol, ammo, bullet. Meanwhile, like I wish you know, if I would have known, I would have called my 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 special. The chase is better than the catch. <laughs> there you go, there you go. In keeping with the theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, so the, yeah, the comedy special. Yeah. I'm just out, you know, working. Basically, I'm working on a new album, you know. But we get to do it in front of a live audience. Right. Right on. You know, so I'm just working on new material and just getting back out there and just. I love building a whole new set. It's almost like you know a band just putting an album together. So it usually takes two years, mm-hmm. two two and a half years. By year so, three, you're ready to as do far it. as your shoot as far as your title your title goes, you bite the bullet. Can't use that. Shoot you in the back can't use that either fire fire probably not right probably not yeah probably yeah. not <clears throat> yeah wow jailbait jailbait probably can't not use that <laughs> right yeah love me like but, a reptile i don't know maybe some that, you're uh, not... that's a, your gender uh shaming a lever reptile yeah yeah that means, ex- you're fucking, that means you're fu- love me like a reptile so you're fucking a reptile so they probably couldn't do that yeah you know there's an australian <laughs> saying like uh we ain't here to fuck snakes well, obviously, you can't fuck a snake, right? right? Yeah. So Ace, Ace of Spades <laughs> is gambling. We don't want to do that because some people might have a gambling problem. Well, Ace and they also might. They think you're being racist, too. Yeah, there's that. Right. Ace of Spades, yeah. It's fucking terrible. Got. You can't even yeah. write a rock the, and roll the song. Hammer, the hammer, I can to close out the album because you might go around and hit someone with a hammer. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Yeah, and you don't want to fast, fast and loose. Maybe fast and loose, or is that considered like, oh, are you calling a? Is that mean a woman's loose and she's fast and loose that she's a whore? So you're women shaming, so probably can't do that one either. You got wow. nothing left, man. Too, How are you going to come up with a new album? We are the road crew. We are the road crew. They can't say anything about that. That's true. Oh, well, if you know road crews, you could. Ouch. <laughs> right, but I don't think. I don't think. Yeah, but I don't think anyone would be offended. At, like they could go, okay, but there's really nothing. Bad and uh, the road crow. So they don't be know out. better. Man, let me, don't let, know me, better. let me had some good titles, good songs. Great titles. All, yeah. all of those could have been like these old cool Western movie titles, you know? Yeah. Like totally. Fistful of Dollars, that kind of yeah. style. Yeah. I remember when I first saw that Ace of Spades cover back to that import record store in Florida where I saw Rock and Thea drop. Because Motorhead was going to go on the Ozzy Blizzard of Oz tour. Yeah, they did. They were doing. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, and then and then I was seeing him at some festival down in Florida. My, I saw Motorhead's first U.S. show opening wow. up the Heart Journey. I think maybe Brian Adams. They went on at like noon and did like a half hour. Me and my brother were going. We go, let's go. We got to check this band Motorhead. And I remember seeing that import album behind the counter, and I'm like, are those guys Mexican? Yeah, like, are Mexicans playing heavy metal. I go, okay. Wow, look at it, because they look Mexican on the cover. Right. I had no idea who they were or anything like that. I'm like, we got to get it because they're the opening band and they're going to play with Ozzy at some point. So, and when I heard it, I'm like, man, masterpiece. You know, yeah. come to think of it, when you see that album cover and you don't really know anything about heavy metal, let's say you just don't, right? You're clean cut or whatever, but you like, like Outlaw Country. You see that album cover and think, oh, I wonder if that's good country music. Yeah. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Because they're Stetsons and Boleros, you know, they just kind of look, yeah. You know what got me into Motorhead too, when I first heard of them, is on the Saxon Wheels of Steel album on the back, two of the guys are wearing Motorhead shirts. I go, yes. they're wearing, what's that band, Motorhead? They must be good if Sax, because I was a huge Saxon fan, but I didn't even hear a Motorhead. So yeah, they're, wearing they're on like, my radar. They're wearing like yeah. Bomber or uh, yeah. or Overkill shirts. Yep. Yeah. 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 It's funny how that happens because I, I could say the same thing about Metallica. I never knew who the Misfits were until I saw Metallica wearing Misfits t-shirts. And I was like, if it's good enough for Metallica, I probably need to check this out. And then yeah. I did and I liked what I heard. But, um, I, you know, and they probably would have completely flown under my radar if it wasn't for Metallica wearing those shirts. Yeah, it's pretty yep. cool. The uh, <clears throat> The idea that. I don't really like what flags represent, but when we're talking about, you know, metalheads or hard rock fans and T-shirts that they're wearing, I always attest it to the first day of school. You don't know anybody, but you see that one kid wearing a Motorhead shirt and you're like, my people. Yeah, I'm going to be friends with that guy. And you beeline and the rest of the world does not exist until that person is like in your new click right yeah. in your new right. your new best friend this is going to be my thank god there's someone who understands what the hell of the this you know this brain is all about you know yeah yeah, yeah. So metal is like that there's no other fan like it in the world i always tell my kid and i tell like when i see young kids at, at concerts i go you're gonna you're gonna be a metalhead for life i go you might drift away a little bit your late teens early 20s you know, because you want to get laid and hook up with girls. You're at college and nobody wants to talk about Slayer. But you will go back to it. You'll always be a metalhead. And they usually and they do. Maybe it's in their 30s when they, you know, but they'll always go back. Yeah. What do you think about, this is a good question. What do you think about people who say shit like, you know, I used to like metal, but I don't anymore. What does that tell you? <laughs> They grew I don't up. know. I don't really hear that. But if they do, they're, they're pretending like, you know, the, the, the whole stereotype was that metalheads are stupid. Yeah. We're yeah. dumb. We just smoke weed. We're unmotivated. And all right. we want to do is bang our head to this. Which is not fucking music. true at all. It's not, not true, true at all. all. Naturally, naturally, naturally motivated, probably book smart. And probably you think the guys in Cannibal Corpse go home and just like drink Budweiser until they pass out? No, they probably put on jazz and read a book. Yeah, exactly. But that was always the stereotype. So then I think when people get older, they go, you know what, you know, I was immature like Judas Priest. I can't like that anymore. I'm in my mid thirties. Now I have to grow up. That's so that, you know, all of a sudden they're thinking like that. So, uh, but no, mm-hmm. you know, and meanwhile, when they're 50, they're like, oh man, I miss going to those shows. And they, you bring them to a show. I go, I've been, I go, yeah, they've been playing it. They tour every year. You've been missing it. Cause you thought you were, you know, you, you have to grow up. You don't have to grow up. You never. I'm making prank calls in my fi- mid 50s still. <laughs> Who says you have yeah. to grow up? You don't have yeah. to. I still laugh at the same thing. I do the same exact shit I did when I was 20. I still think farts are funny. I still fucking listen to metal. I still well, make prank calls. Well, farts are funny. <laughs> they're never not. Right. They're still, <laughs> they're always going to be funny. Yeah. Especially <laughs> when you can annoy other people when you're doing it. It's great. <clears throat> well, and it's natural too. You know, yeah. it's like, and you can even do it. You should be able to like do it at work. You should be able to do it in the library. You should be able to just kind of let it go because it adds levity. It's real. It's like, what? You're not a human being, you know, leave, 
turn around and read your fucking book. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes it funny, I think, that people are so easily annoyed by something like that. Anyway, the idea that someone would say, back to this, uh, you know, yeah, I used to like metal. It's it's very strange to my to my brain because um, why are they telling me this? For one, uh, it's because it confuses me. It's like it makes me think like, oh, so when you were young and impressionable, you said you liked heavy metal, and you 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 still call ACDC a heavy metal band. Um, that's their version of metal, right? Uh, I used to like metal. Yeah, I used to like ACDC and I, and metal. Um, is this you were saying you were into metal so you could have friends you weren't yeah. really into it you were saying it so you could belong to something and i think that there's a legitimate side of something that they're saying underlying there is like i was saying earlier metal fans you know you see someone up 100 yards away wearing a motorhead shirt that's your people you're going to be able to talk to them because that is a an icebreaker it's a it's a real thing it's completely tangible i mean unless it's a kardashian and they don't know anything about the shirt they're wearing <clears throat> and that you know that's fine too anyone should be able to wear whatever clothing they want but that would be a bummer if you walk up and so on oh this yeah i just borrowed it. i don't know what the fuck yeah, back to like the I, I always give people a pass because I, I went out of metal for like two or three years because I, I needed to get laid. You know, it was like 19, 20, and I couldn't. I would go to parties and I'd be like, go up to hot girls and go, can you, why would, why would Judas Priest put point of entry out after British Steel? Like, why would they follow up with that album? You know what I mean? And the girl's like, what the fuck are you talking? Get away from me, you weirdo. And then I realized I need to go, like, there was when New Wave was in. I'm like, I'm just going to start listening to that. I got to go to dance. I, I, I wanted to get pussy. And I knew, for, you know, knowing Rob Halford's birthday and where he was born, that it, it wasn't going to press a girl. Right. So I got I moved away from it for a few years. I came back, but I, I did for a little yeah. while. I, I had to. I, I turned my back on it. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, you, you put a tarp <laughs> over it for a minute. I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah, you were feeling a little turgid. So you had to get, you had to, yeah, I just knew that none of that stuff was on anybody's radar. And, uh, you know, that's all I wanted to talk about. Yeah. And nothing else. Well, let's, let's put <laughs> that up to, in those shoes. Yeah. chalk that up to hormones. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely hormones. Yeah. yeah. I was backed up. <laughs> Turgid. <laughs> tell us about bad tell plumbing. Us about your, tell, yeah. tell us about your, uh, your experience on the, uh, the set of the Danko Jones video. Aren't you, uh, aren't you the bus driver in the... Yeah, uh, uh, Code of the Road. Code of the Road, yeah, yeah. So how did that come about, and what was that experience like? Because I, I feel like I hear quite often that there's a lot of hurry up and wait on the set of a video. So walk us through your... your I don't know. You know, I was friends with Danko, and then all of a sudden I was up in Toronto doing a show. I was there for like two or three days. He goes, hey, man, if you come in the day before, we're filming a video, I'll put you in it. I go, really? He's like, yeah, man, because it was right in Toronto where I was performing. It wasn't that far away. So I wound up changing my flight. I go, yeah. He goes, don't worry. We'll figure something out. Maybe we played a bus driver or something. I don't know, whatever. And he said, just show up. I got a call, you know, I took a taxi there or whatever. They did it in a big warehouse. And he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out a part for you if you could show up. And so they you know, had me be the bus driver. I was, all, no, I was only there for like three, four hours. It wasn't that long. Ah, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how long those guys were, but my stuff was... They were moving pretty quick, but yeah. So it just happened to be where I was in that town at that time. Wow. wow. What about yeah. on the What about on the set of Trainwreck? 
the Amy Schumer movie. Well, that, How yeah, I mean, that, uh, I was only there for maybe four or five hours because I only had like one scene coming in a room. They shot it a bunch of different yeah, times. I was over you, pretty quick. I'm not dogging you out, but if you blink, you're, you miss your part. Yeah. I had a bigger part and they showed it in, um, like film festivals, oh. someone saw it, but they had to cut like 20 more minutes out of the movie. Damn it. The, the theme was Judd Apatow directed it and he knew me, you know, oh, he had good. a lot of comedians in it, and I'm fr I was friends with Amy and he's yeah. like, all right, listen, this is the scene. He goes, Amy's, you know, in the, all these one night stands and basically she's going to throw you out. You're going to have a one night stand with Amy and she's going to throw you out. So just come up with a scenario why she would throw you out. And he just, he wanted comics to ad lib. So my ad lib was, I go, yeah, I'm going to, I go, we just finished having sex. And she's like, okay, I'll see you. Nice meeting. I, yeah. I go, how, how much do I owe you? Yeah. And she's like, what do you mean? I go, how much? She's like, what are you talking about? I go, you're a hooker. She's like, do you think I'm a hooker? I go, yeah. Yeah. She's like, why would you think that? I go, cause I got you out of the bar in like, in like five minutes. You have yeah. to be. And she's like, just go, go, go. All right. Sorry. I'm out. And they only just showed, okay, sorry. I'm out. And that was it. They cut those lines. But uh, I, I saw people I saw it in the film festival. Oh, it's like, oh man, I'd really funny when you call her a hooker, but I guess they cut that. Yeah. Time. I never, I never saw the, uh, <laughs> yeah, they didn't not... do that, but I got in the movie. It was made like 160 million. I still get checks, residual checks. That's here amazing. There, so. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a good cameo. Um, and you've made some other feature films that, Maybe weren't blockbusters, but give us a list. You got a, you got a few things. Well, I was in I was in Californication that show on Showtime. I played oh, you a pimp. I played a pimp wearing a Metallica shirt. Nice. <laughs> the creator of, of Californication was a big metalhead. If you if you watch the series, there was always Marilyn Manson was in it. Zach was Zach Wilde was in it. There was always Slayer references and. And he yeah. knew me from that metal show. And I was out in L.A. and I met with him. He's like, I'm going to write you in a part. I go, yeah, I would love it. So I was on the, that was I was on the set for like four days. Oh, it was cool. big scenes. I was in a I was in like the whole episode. So I was like along just hanging around and shit. But he said, no, I don't want you to dress like a stereotypical pink uh, pimp. Just wear like a, a concert T-shirt, like a Metallica shirt, like you always do. And that you'll be a pimp. I'm like, oh, perfect. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> Man, well, I didn't know thing. that. And yeah, didn't you yeah. make a, I don't know her name. Didn't you make a, a, porno? a full of, no, <laughs> I don't, I, Not yet. no, I don't, I want to be careful about how I react now. No, uh, I'm sorry. I don't re recall the actor's name. Uh, she paid, played Pam Beasley in the oh, office. Oh yeah, Jenna Fisher. Jenna, yeah, yeah, Jenna Fisher. Yeah. 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 A movie called a little help. Okay. Yeah. It's an independent film. It's out there. It's a pretty good film. Actually. Yeah. I see it. I think it's on Amazon or something. Yeah, yeah, and, you're, that, and I, you have a you have a full role in that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Basically, uh, the director knew me from that metal show too, I think, or okay. my comedy, or whatever. And he goes, "Listen, I wrote this, I wrote this part, and I just thought of you. This, you're, you know, that you're going to play this role." And he got in contact with me, and basically, it's like some jerk that she has a one night stand with, that's just mean to her, and then she realizes I got to go back with my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. So it's a pivotal point in the movie. So I just had to be a jerk. Like I meet her. Hey, why don't you call me? And she's like, you know what? I'm going to call this jerk. You know, because she was all, she just broke up with him. He's like, I, I need a, I need a guy that's just going to be like wild. And she calls me and then I'm just like rude to her, you know, and then she real we have a one night stand. I had a dry humper for like six hours. It's beautiful. Wow. Because <laughs> it's a sex scene that we had. And then I was just rude to her afterwards. Well, I don't want to get down to nitty gritty. Wait, yes, I do. Did you have to wear some kind of like cock blocker? 
I had like a little G-string on because they were going to show my ass. They weren't right. sure if they're going to show my ass. So it was like a super small G-string. But the problem was my balls were hanging out of it because <laughs> in the front, they weren't going to show the front, but it was really small and thin, like it went in my ass crack. So in case they get an ass shot of me on top of her. But my balls, I got big balls that so were hanging out like the sides. And then I would get an erection because I'm grinding on it, basically. You know, that's like, my, I'm not, going. I don't want to yeah, talk yeah. about your erection. I want to talk about were they laying down some kind of like cock blocker so no, you're not no. actually rubbing up against No, but she had like a, she, well, it was like on her leg. We had a position okay. where I was like, you know, oh, on her okay. thigh, like by her knee. Okay. And she had like a dress on, so it was like rubbing on okay. that. So it wasn't actually... Right. Yeah. But so it was but, like there, but, but, you know, we just kept doing it and doing it and moaning and stuff. And so I yeah, get up like, sorry, like, okay, cut. I'm like, sorry. She's like, no, that's fine. She goes, I, I'd be offended if he didn't. I'm like, okay, cool. Right. <laughs> Awkward and funny and, and yeah, a good yeah, sport. Yeah. Well, she's yeah. a, she's a comedic actress anyway. So yeah, yeah, she the, was great. She's she was funny awesome. as shit. So yeah, yeah, she was really cool to work with too. I see her in a lot of stuff now that might oh, tell yeah. every, that might tell everybody what, what kind of movies i watch but she's in a lot she's in a lot of stuff i'll go oh yeah you know shit that like where she plays a mad mom or something some of it might be old like from late 90s or yeah because i haven't you know I, I i don't know i haven't seen her doing too much stuff i know she does a pretty popular podcast yeah she's got she's married with a oh. couple of kids now oh good stuff. for her so, i don't know she's from st louis she's from midwest just a nice midwest girl you know yeah. so she was really cool yeah i well, think she, she, she might even still live there okay well, yeah. I just wanted to bring her up because I know you you were in a feature film with her. And, yeah, yeah. And what yeah. what else have you done, uh, theater wise? I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, Amy Schumer's TV show I was on. I did a right. bunch of episodes on the sketch show on Comedy Central. I was in like four or five sketches. Um, I did an episode of Louis C.K. show, Louis, that was on FX. Oh, right. I think I saw yeah, you I did, on that. Yeah, I did an episode mm -hmm. of that, too. So, yeah, I've got a little things here and there. So but. you have, do you have an agent that hooks you up with that stuff, or do you get actual calls? Like you said, it seemed to be your answers about this kind of stuff. Yeah, because uh, Louis knew me as a comic, and Louis's yeah. like, I got a perfect role for you. Yeah, so it usually happens like that. Sometimes you have to audition for the stuff you know and get it but usually it's just a meeting and like okay you're gonna be perfect for this but it sounds like it's not necessarily an agent it's like somebody going hey, i got a guy i'll just call jim you know how you know it's the same as a music business 90 yeah. percent of the stuff you're gonna get is on your own yep yeah and the agent gets you the other 10 percent. it's the same thing in comedy i always tell people this girl i was talking to last night this comic she's new and she's gonna sign with management i go just know 90 percent of the stuff you're gonna get you're gonna get on your own the yeah. managers love yeah. to connect, you know, managers and agents love to collect you like baseball cards just so you're on their roster. Yeah. And you're like, I was doing this myself. Why did fucking why 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 do I need it? He's not even doing anything for us. You know, he's lazy. I, I could right. I could do this shit. So right. you think it's always gonna get to the next level and rarely does it happen. Right. Well, as long as it's non exclusive. You yeah, know, if they're that, handing yeah. out if they're handing out business cards or, or naming a roster on their website or whatever however it's fucking done these yeah. days, who fucking knows? Just having your name up there, that's great. And it's probably giving you a little bit of lip service and stuff like that. And another way someone can contact you, but just like in any entertainment business, um, you know, having your name out there for your brand or whatever is actually really good. But as long as you told her, this young artist, uh, go for non-exclusive. Well, I also told her to try not to sign a deal because a lot of time it just handshake deals with management and comedy. And then also, if you're going to, no more than two years. 
because mm-hmm. two years will go by quick. I go two years is going to go by super quick, and then you're out of the contract if you know if yeah. it doesn't go well. And I That's said, and any money, any money you're making right now, they tell they can't have a cut of it. Yeah, like she does. A, she has a podcast. She makes good money on. She also does a Twitch show on Twitch TV wow. or whatever. Yeah. So I said, don't. This guy can't come in your life and go. I need a cut of that. He had nothing to do no. with that. So just tell him no on that too. Right. Whatever they're going to book, they're going to get. Right. Their, whatever you book, whatever you get me, I'll give you a cut on. But what do you so, think? That, what do you think an agent takes these days? Thirty percent. Ten. No, 10, 10, 10, 10 or fifteen, but usually ten. Yeah. So I know you're. Uh, you and Don and Eddie are, are probably sick of answering this question, and so I'll try to put a spin on it. Uh, you get Is a lot that of metal show ever going to come back? I yeah, know where you're going? No, yeah. it's not. No, but we let, don't let me, own it. We don't own it. We no actors own their own show. We can't just go to Netflix and go, "Hey, uh, us three are here." VH1 owns the show. They can do what they want with it. Netflix can say, "I'll give you five million dollars for the rights to the show," and they can go, "No," and that's it. We could always yeah. do another rock show if we wanted a, that rock show, but we also need, it's going to cost $100,000 to do an episode. So unless someone comes up at a hundred grand, we do 10 episodes, a million dollars. It has no shot. We can't do a podcast. We can't do a Zoom show. It, it needs to look professional like the old metal show. You got to pay five cameramen, union, you know, whatever. You got to fly the guy in first class with his wife, put him up in a five-star hotel, transportation back and forth, post-production, you know, shooting a TV show is a lot. The sound mix, all of that stuff. So yeah. it's a hundred thousand an episode. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Right. You see, right? That and that's cheap, big. and that's super cheap. We used to do. I don't know what it was. It was probably like one hundred and fifty at the day. You probably shoot it for a hundred. But the, people think it's like, no, just get Rob Zombie. Go. Well, is Rob Zombie going to fly to fucking New Jersey on his dime? No. no. You give him a first class air ticket with his wife. There's fucking you know, there's seven grand right there. Five star hotel in New York City for two nights. That's nine grand car service there back to the airport. And that's that's what you do on a TV show. That's what it's, you know, so that's 10 grand right there. Who, who's paying for that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that that's the whole thing. So look, if, if comedy crank anchors came back. I was on the show on Comedy Central. It was on from 2002 to 2006, making prank calls. And in 2018, it came back after 12 years. So you never know. Yeah. A lot is of retro still, shit's coming back. So, are you, are you still doing Crank Anchors now? Is it current? Yeah, it's back. Yeah, so we're in the third season of the, uh, you know, wow. coming back. So, I thought I heard about that, but I don't watch. Yeah, it's on now. nobody's radar. Nobody's watching it, but it's still yeah. back and whatever. Oh, that's but good. so that's good. maybe that metal show. Who knows? In two years, some network or maybe VH1 goes, hey, you know, we want to put that back on the air. Okay, great. But until then, you know, there's nothing yeah, we gonna, could do. It's going to have to be someone with deep pockets, obviously. And then it's, it, it, who knows, like, we can't, even if it's a guy that gives us a million dollars for 10 episodes, he can go, yeah, I got an in at Netflix. Netflix will go, no, we don't want this. We, right. no, no one knows, you know, we have Beyonce documentaries on here. This is worldwide. You know, we can't have the sleazebees on as your B guest. <laughs> like, who, who's going to tune in for that? Nothing against that band, but who's going to tune in for that? Right. And I get where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could you could tell Hulu. How about Hulu? How about Amazon Prime? They didn't take my special because they'll bite the bullet. You yeah. know, so, yeah. you know, right. they're not just all of a sudden, okay, yeah, you shot something, all right, we're going to put it on here. You know, yeah. it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of work to the the possibility of get, getting shot down or like 99.9%. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, But if some network at FX one day goes, hey, we want to do that metal show. All right, we're yeah. in. 
It you also sounds it also sounds like with the numbers that you're kind of mentioning here, it sounds to me like um <clears throat> and this is just how my brain works. It sounds to me like if someone was going to put up that kind of talk, you know, talk that kind of numbers that it would almost be like shit, it should be a movie with that a million dollar budget for that many episodes. It should almost be a movie about well, if it was going to be about three metalheads from Jersey who are, you know, from three different parts of Jersey meeting and creating this da 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 it could be like a Beavis and Butthead on the road kind of, you know, do America kind of a scenario. It would almost be we, worth it to do that. The problem is we can't act. <laughs> I don't even feel like you have. Who would play you? I'd play myself. We'd yeah. all play ourselves and we can't really act. So that's... Right. Yeah. Uh, let me ask well, you one more. You, well, metal. how about how about it? Since it'd be you, you wouldn't really be acting. Yeah, I know the camera's be... on, so I'd, be, I'd probably be playing at a yeah. camera. Yeah. Uh -oh. let, let me yeah. ask you one more uh, that metal show question. Uh, while the show was on the air, did you have any guests that you were pursuing that you just couldn't get to save your life? Like, was there anybody on your wish list? And I don't mean like you know, Paul McCartney or something. Some, was there somebody that you actually were engaged with either through their manager or whatever, and you were trying and trying and trying, and it just never worked out, and you were bummed out about not? I know. I, I didn't book the guests. You know, it was Eddie and the booker there or whatever, so I really wasn't on those decisions. I know that Jimmy Page wouldn't do the show because he didn't want to be associated with metal because it was called that metal show, his management. I don't know if it came directly from Jimmy or not, but he's like, he's not going to go on a show. He's not heavy metal. Like it's not we have had you know because we had like Paul Rogers on, yeah. and you know, Ann Wilson and Nancy from Heart. So it was that we're trying to explain to him it's not just metal guys, but he wouldn't come on just because of the name of the show. I don't know. Like I said, it's probably from his manager, but that was one we would love that would love to have. Yeah. Sure. What's the story with the with Kiss? Why why is there so much uh, such a big problem between Eddie and and Gene and Paul? I don't know. They had some kind of falling out. You know, Eddie doesn't like that, you know, uh, Tommy and who's the other guy? Eric. The other guy. Eric, yeah. you know, are in the aces and Peter's costumes. Yeah. Same makeup. So he goes always, you know, goes off about that. And that probably pisses Gene and Paul off, I think. Yeah. So, you know, and, and you know, he just he's relentless with that stuff. And he's friends with Peter and Ace. So who knows? Yeah. You know, but yeah, that that's where it started. You know that, and they, so they would never come on. Yeah, from that, which is fine. And Gene's done my show on Sirius XM. Me and Gene are fine. You know, he knows. Like, I have no, I don't care. You know, yeah. I, that's not my fight over that stuff. I, that doesn't really bother me. Yeah, what was whatever. He like, what was whatever. it like having him on your show? Yeah, I just, you know, he, he was great because he's always sarcastic and dry, and I'm, I'm like that too. So he's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've interviewed him a couple times over the phone, and. Uh, you know, he's one of my childhood heroes, so of course you're just sort of in awe from that angle. But uh, uh, one time he was better than the other, uh, and I remember the second interview was much better than the first. Uh, but he was very a uh, little more open and kind of dry, and his his sense of humor kind of came through. And yeah, so well, that's yeah. cool. They, did you have him in your studio, or or was it sort of a? It was at Sirius XM. He was up there, so we just did it in one of their studios in New York City because I do a show on Ozzy's Boneyard. So, you know, a, a show like so he co-hosted with me. He's done, I think he's done it twice. So whenever he's up there, I'll go in and we'll you know get some studio space and just knock it out real quick. Yeah, that's cool. Awesome. 
Well, man, you're living the dream. I'll say that. Uh, not bad for a guy who, uh, you know, thought that fart jokes and crank calling uh, the neighbor's uh, daughter was was. I still rumors. do. <laughs> you still call her? <laughs> I still think it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be funny if you still called her. That's what I was asking. Yeah, I should look her up. I remember yeah. her name, too. <laughs> you would know that voice, too. Is this so Janet? I know. Her tits got to be bigger now. You know, she got older. It probably filled out even more. She had a couple of kids. So they're probably double D's. Jesus. Man, we might. Mm. Is that wrong? We should probably quit while we're ahead. <laughs> well, it was uh, good to see you on Monsters of the Mountain. And yeah. uh, I, once again, I'm. Uh, if I haven't uh, alluded to this, I think that uh, the Monsters you know the company monsters of rock cruise and monsters of larry and and his whole crew larry moran of course uh have kind of saved rock and roll with this little niche of like by land by land and sea he has created this uh entire culture of uh you know, and there's even some new-ish bands. It's not just all this retro, you know, hey, let's wheelchair some old rocker, 80s rocker guy up there is about to die of a o- cocaine overdose singing songs from 1981. You know, um, there's a little bit of that, <clears throat> but everyone's in pretty good shape and kind of killing it. And to have, uh, you know, you and Don and Eddie, because of uh, the, the culture you guys are, are obviously part of and everything i just want to say that it's great to have all of this you know connection where uh it kind of goes back to what i was saying it's like tribal you know the flags the t-shirts the you know yeah just metal fans are different than any other kind of music fan and uh it's just been great to be able to run into you and don and eddie uh just who are just uh, the mouthpieces for a generation kind of thing not to put any pressure but just to be part of the whole the whole scene the whole uh heavy metal movement which obviously is never gonna die so it seems like we're all gonna just kind of hang in there it's kind of gonna be legendary one day yeah no it's great man he's yeah. definitely helping these bands already... out and I think it already is in in some respects i mean people yeah. continue to talk about that metal show and i i you know i I just, you know, this is a once I've never had this opportunity to speak to you before. So I just want to thank you uh, for, for doing that metal show because it came out and it served a need that I thought would never be served. And I loved the fact that I could turn on my television and three knowledgeable dudes that knew something about rock and roll were interviewing Tracy Guns or something. And I never thought that would happen and you made it last for a a number of seasons it was very successful that proves there's an audience out there for it and uh so i just want to thank you for for bringing that and making it a reality because there's a lot of people like me and people that listen to the show that really appreciated it and miss it dearly yeah i appreciate that man thanks yeah well it's um you know people nerding out about this are just kind of like also I mean, because that's why we have a podcast is so we can just nerd out. You know, our first like 20 episodes of this podcast here, we didn't have any guests. It was just me and Dave just hanging out, talking about Iron Maiden and shit. Right. (laughs) And people loved it. So then all of a sudden we started having our friends on and then we had people knocking on the door. It's kind of it just goes to show that kind of uh, 
you know, everybody is saving rock and roll just because of their love for it. So it's never going to go away because of the part that's involved. So, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah. Hey, man, thanks for hanging with us today. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me on. It's always great. I love you, yeah. Jason. Absolutely. Cool, man. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a real nice pleasure. You, Dave. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah, and no, Terrorizing Telemarketers, Volume 7. If you're into prank calls, you know, us, me and Don Jameson, Torture and Telemarketers, wherever you listen to music, it's out there now. So, uh, yeah, check what? it out. That's the seventh volume. We have six other ones. So oh. you go back and listen to our history of it. Yeah, nice. number one on iTunes. Yeah, number one. Yeah, that's awesome. amazing. Amazing. What about meet? The, what about meet the creeps? You know, is that happening or not? Maybe <laughs> you know, there's some talks that maybe we'll revisit it and, and start it back up again. So um, it's possible, like a hidden camera series. So you know, we got things in the works. We're figuring it out. So. Sure. Well, Jim, thank you for being with us today. It was nice meeting you as well. And thank you for flying the flag of metal in everything that you do, uh, whether it's wearing a Metallica shirt on television or telling your broken teeth. Our broken teeth. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and uh, I hope one of your comedy tours brings you through Austin, Texas. I, I know. I haven't been there in a while. I'm dying to get back there. So I'm working on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of the time, the closest you get is like Dallas or Houston. Yeah, I'm doing like yeah. I'm doing Fort Worth in November. So it's just yeah. a. It's tough getting down that way. I was in Houston last year, but yeah, yeah. I got to get to uh, Austin, definitely. Yeah, and San Antonio, too. Uh, yeah, San Antonio, a yeah. Strong metal following in in, in, uh, in San Antonio. Yeah. So hopefully your routing brings you our way. I would love to see your act in person. Uh, in the meantime, thank you so much for being on our show today. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with our very special guest, Jim Florentine, on the Talk Louder podcast today. <laughs>